الجزيرة بودكاست Engaging with China, the France's president and the head of the European Commission are both in Beijing. They're hoping Xi Jinping can help end the war in Ukraine. But as China is accused of siding with Russia, what can it offer? I'm Nick Clark, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. All right, let's take this on. I'm joined now by our guests in Saint-Malo in France. is Jacques Rillon, who's a senior research fellow at the Global Policy Institute, which is an independent think tank. In Washington, D.C., in the U.S., Colleen Cottle, the deputy director of the Global China Hub at the Atlantic Council. And in Beijing in China, Andy Mock, who's a senior research fellow at the Center for China and Globalization. Welcome to all of our guests. Uh, Jacques, if I could start with you in France. Why, uh, why this dual-pronged approach, do you think, uh, President Macron and von der Leyen, on this combined visit? Uh, it's to show that France is part of Europe and uh, that uh, Macron knows that uh, uh, China prefers to have bilateral relationships relations with other countries, like was the case when... Uh, uh, Olaf Scholz went to Beijing and before uh, with China and Merkel very often dual meeting. But Macron is insistent on showing that France, yes, is an independent country, but is part of the European Union. And that when dealing with China with 1.5 billion people, it's better to deal from a basis of representing the European Union with 450 million people than a country like France with 70 million people. So therefore, he insisted on bringing uh, Ursula von der Leyen uh, as Five years ago, when uh, Xi Jinping made a state visit to France, he invited Merkel and the president of the European Commission to take part in the discussions. So it's very important for Macron, who especially is very insistent on highlighting the fact that Europe has a strategic autonomy, has person has interests and values which are not necessarily those of uh, its allies, such as America, to show Europe as a political identity. And France has always, always promoted the idea of a political European Union. Well, we'll come to the US in a sec with Colleen. But first, Andy Mock in Beijing. For, for the president, Xi Jinping, the optics pretty good, aren't they? Two of the most powerful people in Europe coming to him. Uh, he'll like that, won't he? Well, I think certainly uh, China recognizes and President Xi recognizes that uh, China has important contributions to make uh, on the global stage, um, whether that's in Europe, uh, whether that's in the Middle East, uh, with the recent rapprochement between uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia and other parts of the world as well. So certainly, I think it's no surprise uh, that we're seeing these visits. And more to come. Uh, I believe the uh, Pedro Sanchez from Spain will be visiting China uh, shortly as well. And Colleen, Europe's kind of stuck in the middle between China and the United States. To what degree is the US wanting this conversation between uh, Europe and China? I think the United States would like to see um, action from China on on Ukraine that that would bring us closer to a resolution um, 
that, you know, if there is an ability for EU leaders to help gain traction and urge China on this, I think there is skepticism here and, and probably in parts of Europe on whether that's actually possible or whether this visit just gives Xi um, the, the diplomatic win of looking like he's playing this grand statesman hosting um, European leaders, but not really put on the spot to make any movements towards towards a resolution. Um, so I think there's 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 hope, but I think there's also at the same time sort of skepticism and awareness that this may actually be counterproductive and in, in just feeding Xi's sort of in view of of China as being the the center of the world stage and all things must run through him and you know the rest of the world must kind of accommodate China's views and positions. Indeed. How closely do you think, Colleen, uh, EU policy aligns to the US policy on China? Well, I think the, the speech that von der Leyen gave um, last Thursday really, you know, whether that represents the entire EU or not, I think is a, an open question. But a lot of those, the analysis that's contained in it, that China is moving, kind of a turning a page on reform, is moving, you know, to a more of a security focused state rather than a trade and economic development um, is, is kind of the driver of its policies. I think a lot of what she said does align with what the, the U.S. Is, is thinking and how the, the U.S. worldview of China kind of generally is. I mean, the U.S. view is not, of course, monolithic, but there is this, um, I think, growing impetus to see China you know, is a increasingly as a, as a competitor um, in the global stage. And I think von der Leyen's comments do say that, maybe not quite as pointedly as, as some of the remarks coming out of the United States. Uh, and I think some of the solutions she's proposing are also in line with some of the, the economic solutions that we are looking at in the United States in terms of uh, making sure that you're protecting um, interests in your countries against um, Chinese coercion. She referenced um, the need to potentially look at uh, outbound investment screening mechanisms for key technologies that could uh, if, you know, fallen into the wrong hands, be used to aid Chinese military capabilities. So a lot of these these statements and the policies are in line. I think the mm -hmm. question is whether the E will be united enough to sort of see them all through together, um, or if there is kind of divergences in the EU commission policies versus national policies that the Chinese can exploit. How did that speech go down in Beijing, uh, Andy? Because it was a pretty, from von der Leyen, it was a pretty uh, sharp and pointed uh, speech, wasn't it? Fairly critical of China. Well, I think that the view uh, from uh, China would be that uh, clearly Europe is staking out a separate position. The key phrase here, I believe, that uh, was used is uh, de-risking, not decoupling. And I think that shows uh, the European recognition uh, that it cannot blindly uh, follow the U.S. Uh, going off a cliff, uh, as it were, um, with this. The other point I want to make, too, is this. Uh, I think it's a false choice, or it's presented as a false choice, between uh, a more security-oriented state uh, versus one that is committed to trade and investment. Uh, in fact, I think uh, China's pursuing both. Uh, it recognizes that uh, it's facing an incredibly complex uh, geopolitical environment that really hasn't been seen in a, in a very long time uh, and requires uh, a strengthening of uh, government structures, alignment of the party, uh, the government and the people. 
but at the same time, uh, trade and investment, greater integration uh, with the parts of the world that are willing to work with China, including Europe, uh, is vitally important, and that these mutually reinforce each other and are not uh, distinct and separate choices, uh, an either-or, black-and-white binary uh, approach, but in fact, it's both. Jacques, as you're mentioning, von der Leyen and Macron going hand-in-hand, hand, as it were, but how much unity is there in Europe about the, their approach to, uh, to China and, indeed, the U.S. approach to China, or is there divergence? There is divergence uh, between uh, Europe and uh, the U.S. on the attitude to China. Europe doesn't want a confrontational attitude to China. Uh, France doesn't want it. Uh, Germany doesn't want it. Most European countries do not want it. But they realize that it has about time to also rebalance our trade with uh, with China to reduce risk. For a while, Europe was seen a bit as the global village idiot, you know, accepting all kinds of investment in his uh, country, all kinds of imports, and not asking for reciprocity from China, for example, on the issue of public markets. And uh, therefore, that's why there is a threat in, in June. There's going to be discussions on a Global Investment Act in order to see how uh, Europe can defend itself in this global world where it has suffered a lot in terms of imports. France uh, and Europe import far more than they export to China. So now it's a time. But at the same time, okay, the issue of trade and economy is very important. But here, Macron also wanted to put uh, forward the idea that China is not only a competitor, but it's also a partner. It's a partner, especially in the fight against global warming and the fight to preserve biodiversity. And today, in press conference, there was quite a lot of emphasis on this issue and the fact that the many contracts which have been signed between France and uh, China today involve companies which are actually uh, very involved in water and environment issues, which can help China with their attitude. So there's the attitude, a competitor, but we have to maybe redraw the rules a little bit, but at the same time, a partner. And that's why they think there is something to be done, especially they realize that the Europeans were a bit uh, miffed by the fact that when you, when uh, Americans uh, instigated the Inflation Redu Reduction Act that it only mm -hmm. benefited European companies. So uh, Europe is aware of the fact that America fights for its interests first. Europe has to defend its interests first. And at the same time, Europe knows that we don't know who is going to be in power in 2024 in uh, US. So it's very important for, uh, for Europe to assert itself on the international scene. Uh, we'll come uh, come to, tra to trade more in a second, in a moment or two. But uh, Andy Mock said Macron he wants uh, China to rein Russia for Russia for China to rein Russia in on Ukraine. Um, how ready is China to work with France to push hard to obtain a negotiation to end the war? Do you think? Well, I think China's position on the Ukraine conflict has been clear and consistent. Uh, and that a peaceful settlement uh, should be reached, and these types of uh, contradictions uh, should be 
settled through dialogue and, and not through violence. But we also have to recognize that China is actually not a party to this conflict. Um, Russia is, Ukraine is, countries actually supplying military gear uh, and intelligence to the parties to the conflict are the ones with the real power to end this uh, conflict. So, of course, China, France, uh, other countries uh, can urge uh, the parties to the conflict uh, to reach a peaceful settlement, but it's only the parties, the two or the three parties uh, that are directly engaged in this conflict that can actually bring it to an end. Colleen, what's your view on that? I would disagree. I think China may not be providing, and we don't know, there's there's a lot of accusations um, and there's maybe proof behind closed doors in terms of China's provision of lethal aid, but it is providing, you know, is it is buying large amounts of energy um, from the Russians. So it is indirectly keeping the war machine running in Russia by those purchases. Yes, maybe if China wasn't purchasing some of that, it would be purchased elsewhere. Um, but at any rate, China is making those purchases. And so there it does have some influence over Russia. Um, to, you know, to be trying to bring the war to conclusion. So I think it is indirectly, I think it is fair to say it is a, it is part of the, can be part of the solution in this part of the, the war effort. Um, but I, I agree that the Chinese want to stay really, you know, move it, move it into a dialogue. They certainly have been pushing for that. Um, how, however realistic their proposal plan is, I think, you know, it's a it's an echoing of common mantras that the Chinese, um, you know, it echoes what's in the, the some of the language in the global security initiative. That's China's kind of solution to things. It's non-interference, respect for territorial integrity, um, which is a kind of a confusing one to treat in the context of the Ukraine war. Um, but really, you know, for the for the Chinese, I think in some ways they would like this to just go away. They want they they don't want to see Russia. <laughs> Um, fall because that 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 four thousand kilometer border could instability into into um, could spill over into China from from Russia. So they they certainly don't want to see it the, the the conflict move in such a way that it would put Putin's um, you know standing within the country at risk and then trickle over into China. But I think they also don't like the pressure they're getting from the West about stepping into the conflict more. And I think that was part of the starting stepping into the conflict in terms of helping bring to part a solution. I think that was part of the motivation for this 12 point plan. And so they do see them. They are caught in the middle. And I think recognize this. This 12 point plan was, was trying to get them out of that middle, get them out of the hot seat a little bit. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, the Europeans are, again, trying to raise this, raise this pressure up and whether that's going to trigger any different uh, policy, yeah. I think I, I'm a little skeptical. So Europeans trying to raise the pressure, Jacques. Uh, what leverage, if any, does the EU have on China for them to lean on Russia? But the, the leverage that uh, the EU has on China is that, uh, first, the EU is the main importer of Chinese goods, and it's necessary for the French, for the Chinese economy at the moment, which is not growing at its usual pace, 3% and 5% for last year and 5% this year, which is not much. And uh, the China is victim of American sanctions. So the best customer uh, remaining for China is Europe. So it's important. And also Europe is seen as 
in the vision of the world order that Xi Jinping has, he sees it, he sees the birth of a multipolar world, no longer a world uh, ruled by America in a way, with America as the hyperpower as before. A new world order is being established now, and he appreciates the fact that Europe, especially not everyone in Europe, but at least Macron wants Europe to be an independent pole in a multipolar world, and which could help. And to go back to the issue of uh, Russia, yes, uh, China has, and Ukraine, China has no uh, no beef really in that issue. Actually, the Ukraine war has been very good for China. It gets cheap gas, and now for the first time in the Chinese-Russian uh, relationship, uh, China has clearly the upper hand. But let's not forget today, there was some kind of breakthrough showing that uh, China wants to involve itself in a role as a peacemaker, maybe not a peacemaker, but at least a force of reason. Uh, Macron was asking for, to help uh, uh, Russia, uh, the Chinese convince Russia to come back to their senses, to come back to the to the camp of reason. And today, uh, Xi Jinping said clearly that China was totally opposed to the use of nuclear, bacteriological, and chemical, chemical weapons in a conflict. So that's uh, quite a breakthrough. And it's uh, something which will obviously have an impact on Russia's aggressive stance that we've seen in the past few weeks and months. Andy, do you want to come in at that point? Okay. Yeah. So, I think China has been clear and consistent for 40 years that it's following the path of peaceful development and that a peaceful global environment is not only in China's interest, but the interest of the world. So, certainly, I think this commitment to resolving this conflict peacefully uh, can let everyone get back uh, to building a better world uh, from a climate perspective, from uh, an economic perspective, from an income inequality perspective. So uh, certainly I, I think that this is, uh, again, I think there's very little doubt that this is what China is, is aiming for. If we can come to something that Andy was talking about a little bit earlier, Jacques, this idea of uh, de-risking and not decoupling how do you read that? What do you think that actually means? De-risking in the case of Europe and European firms is, the, uh, is due to the fact that they will not invest as blindly as before. And we've seen the fact that uh, many countries, uh, many firms are no longer investing massively in China. They will want to keep Chinese factories in order to have uh, the ability to sell their goods in uh, in China. And for example, now only 10 firms are responsible for 80% of investment in China, as opposed to 49% before, so the, uh, in the, the uh, five years, five or six years ago. And it's due to the fact that there's a certain weariness towards China, that they can't always trust 
Chinese businessmen as honest partners. They can't always trust the Chinese legal system. And therefore, now the companies who invest in China are the ones who sell their goods in China. And the big investors are BMW, Volkswagen, BASF, etc., the top 10 companies. And while other companies who used to rely on China as a cheap workshop are now creating uh, structures, manufacturers, factories, or using factories in other parts of the world, or in Vietnam and other, other countries, India, Bangladesh, and moving away from China. So de-risking means that, yes, we won't now depend on the Chinese production machine, as we saw during the COVID. It could lead to problems in, in the supply chain, and they want to avoid that at all costs in the future. Uh, Colleen, she said that China and France have the ability and responsibility to transcend differences and restraints as the world undergoes, undergoes profound historical changes. He's talking about, uh, you know, this concept of a new world order that I presume that China would like to see itself at the top of. Uh, how does that kind of talk go down in the United States, and, and what does it do for tensions? Uh, well, it's certainly, I mean, especially if you have an eye to the the hearings that have been taking place on the Hill and, and the stand-up of the new committee in the House to look at um, the Chinese Communist Party, that certainly feeds into the narrative of not just, you know, she's maybe looking at a world, or he's talking about a world order with, with China as a, playing a leading role or the center, and that becomes framed in in some of the U.S. political circles as China is trying to take over the world. They're going to take over, the Communist Party is going to take over all aspects of life. You know, democracy as we know it is is, is over. This, this model, the Chinese model is going to get exported everywhere, including here. And so I think it, you know, it has the, the potential to really be, be turned and, and used in ways that um, make it very difficult to to focus on anything with the China relationship aside from competition. Um, if, if you'll recall, there's the, the three pillars of, of the U.S., um, the current administration strategy on China. There's the compete pillar, um, the align pillar, which is aligning with allies such as Europe and in Asia. And then there's the compete in the, in the effort to kind of preserve the international rules-based order as we have it now. Okay. And I think all the effort gets focused on this compete and really not just compete to preserve the order, but just compete to beat China. And that, that rhetoric just really shifts the focus there. Okay. Um, and in uh, some Colleen, ways, I'm going to jump in important. there because we, I'm sorry to interrupt. We're just coming to the end of the program and I wanted to end with, with Andy. What's the view in China on that? Does Xi Jinping see himself as the head of the new world order at some point? I don't think so. I mean, I think, again, China is becoming Coming more central, but that doesn't mean leading the world. But I want to briefly talk about this idea of de-risking. Uh, in the business world, we say that revenue solves a lot of problems. And one of the risks I think Europe is facing is growth. So China imports something like $3 trillion a year worth of goods, which is about the size of the French uh, economy. 
And, you know, if uh, Europe is able to work with China, uh, France might be able to lower the retirement age instead of having to raise it uh, because of the uh, trade and investment opportunities. So I think uh, risk encompasses a lot of things. Certainly, uh, some of the questions uh, Europe has are, are legitimate and should be addressed. Uh, but the risk of missing out on this opportunity of Chinese growth, uh, that could solve a lot of European domestic problems as well. Okay. All right, we'll have to leave it there. Do appreciate all your perspectives. Thank you very much indeed to our guests. There's Jacques Reland and Connie DeCottle and Andy Mock. Thank you. This episode was produced by Mohamed Alaishi, Sarah Aramgil, Abla Kla, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Suraj Sankar, and the program was edited by Venetia Velilath, Lynn Nguyen, and Joe DeFries. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thanks for listening. Tune in on Friday for our next show.